Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to take a look at Exodus chapter 17. I, I love what God says near the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 21, I mean, we are at the end. At the end of Scripture, God says this, that he's going to make all things new. God says, I'm going to make everything new. Nothing will be there. I'm going to wipe out all sickness. I'm going to wipe out all sin. I'm going to wipe out all injustice. I'm going to wipe out all hatred. I'm going to make everything brand new. God doesn't say, I'm going to make it better. He said, I'm going to wipe out all of those things that are a result of the curse, and I'm going to make them all new. Everything is going to be made new. And, uh, but until then, he makes new ways for new days. God takes care of us in ways that we just can't imagine because God is taking care of us and is always bringing new things into our life. And here in Exodus chapter 17, you're finding the story of Israel who's experiencing a new day. How many of you have ever had a new day? Anybody ever gotten married? I tell people this all the time, and I, I, I know my wife is not watching right now, and if she is, I know she'll forgive me because God makes her. <laughs> I dated Renee, who was the offspring of Carl and Marcella. I thought I was marrying Marcella, but I married Carl. <laughs> Marcella, I would go over to their house and Mrs. Walker, my mother-in-law would go, oh honey, do you want something? Let me get you a, a milkshake. Let me get you a popcorn. Do you want a Diet Coke? You sit down, let me get you something. And I'd go, oh no ma'am, I'm good, I'm good. And she'd look over at Carl and she'd say, oh honey, he wants something. Let me get you something too and he'll have something. And she was off to the kitchen. And I'd look over at him and I'd go, Mr. Walker? He'd go, uh. See, he thought he was getting something else too. <laughs> and I, I, mar I thought I was marrying Marcella. I married Carl. I don't understand it. She's her dad. She's not her mom. It, when we got married... I said to her after the first week, why don't you go make me a milkshake? <laughs> Two weeks later, I recovered and woke up. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you experience a new day, it's different than what you thought it was going to be. It's not the same experience. It's a little bit different. I'll never forget when we had a, a new day when we brought home our first child. Oh, it was that... Something's wrong with that boy. He cried all of the time. It got so bad, we thought, you know what? We just need to have a second one. Maybe the second one will be better. Third one, fourth one. We had five in six years. People, what were you thinking? We kept thinking we'd find a new day. It would be different. But you know what? God 
makes new ways for us. The nation of Israel, they had, they had been a family. They had been a family, but then they became tribes. But then they became a nation for the very first time. And they're on a new journey. They're on, they're, they have new jobs, new roles, and, and, and it's a new day. And they're on their way to the promised land. But you know what? There were some surprises on the way. I don't care what journey you're on today. It might be the journey of a new job, a new home. It might be the journey of old age that you're starting to realize for the first time that you're not 25 anymore. There are always going to be surprises on the journey. The children of Israel think that when they leave the promised land, when they leave uh, uh, Egypt and they're headed to the promised land, they know that the promised land is northeast of them, but God takes them to the southeast. It's a different direction. When you're in a new day, there's always going to be surprises. And not only is there always going to be surprises, but your physical provision will never be enough. Renee and I took our, we, we, we hadn't taken vacation in 14 years. And our church board said, you have to take vacation. And so we took vacation. It was, and I think I told you about this the last time I was with you. It was me and Renee and our five kids, seven of us, in a seven-passenger van. And we decided to invite my mom to go along. <laughs> Eight of us in a seven-passenger van driving to Florida. Well, you know, there are no grocery stores in Florida. So Renee bought all, brought with us an entire week's groceries in this seven-passenger van. Oh, it was a delightful experience. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. We ran out of food. Why? Because there's never enough for the journey. Your physical provision will never be enough. There will come a place where God's going to teach you that you need him. Well, sometimes God brings you to these kinds of places, and the nation of Israel had ran out of water. They had probably packed enough water for about a seven or eight day journey, and they are now to the point that they are running out of water, and they're thirsty, and they're complaining. And God speaks to Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to take the elders uh, of the nation of Israel, and I want you to take them up to the rock face. I want you to take them up to this rock face, and I want you to strike the rock. And when he does that, God has planned a place of miraculous provision. There's this place where, in this dry place, when they didn't have enough for themselves, when God said, I've got something stored up for you along the way, and if you will obey me, you'll find my miraculous provision. And water begins to flow. But that's where we pick up our story today. In chapter 17, verse number eight, the very next verse, after this river of water begins to flow, verse number eight, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, now, what does it mean he was holding up his hands? It's, it's this. As long as he's worshiping and praying, 
As long as Moses is keeping their attention focused on obedience and reverence to God, as long as they're worshiping and praying, what happens? As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Another translation says prevailed. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. You see, there's a reason for that. Because the Israelites had never been trained as soldiers. They had always been trained in construction labor. They didn't have a single warrior in their group. And so it's no wonder that when they grow tired, when the leadership, when the, the, uh, the, the leaders of Israel grow tired and they stop worshiping and stop praying, that the soldiers begin to defeat the carpenters in battle. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. I want to ask you today, how would you write that last line? How would you change the name of Amalek? That there's coming a day when God will completely wipe out cancer on the face of the earth. There's coming a day when God will completely wipe out injustice on the face of the earth. There's coming a day when God will completely wipe out sickness. There's coming a day when God will completely wipe out poverty from the face of the earth. All of those kinds of things. But until then, God is still going to make a way for a new way for a new day for us. And I think there's five or six lessons that we can learn really quickly here out of this passage. The first is this, that when God is doing something new in our life or in our church, the enemy always comes to steal the miraculous work and supply of God. Listen to what it says. Then, the moment the water begins to appear, what's the most valuable resource in a desert? Water. And the moment that this valuable, miraculous supply begins to appear, here comes the enemy to try and steal what God has provided. This was not a common river. This was not a river. That, this was a river that came out of a rock. And the enemy comes to steal it. God is all about provision. But what God provides, the enemy tries to pillage. The New Testament puts this principle in these words. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. And I want you to know, when God's getting ready to do a new thing, the enemy will try and come and steal it. The enemy will come and try and destroy it. The enemy will try to pillage what God has provided for you. But we must be people who will say no to the enemy, that we are ready for his attack. We see it coming and we know who he is. God knew that his people would have to journey in the desert. So he planned miraculous places of supply. But the enemy comes for one purpose, to steal the supply of God. 
You see, the Bible says this to every one of us as individuals and to us as a church. My God shall supply all your needs. God said, I know what you have need of. I know my plans that I have for this church, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. God said, I know the plan that I have for your life, your home, your family, your body, your job, your career, your soul. I've got a plan for you. My God shall supply all your needs but the enemy will come to try and steal the supply. So don't be surprised if battles arise. Let me ask you, what is it in your life right now that the enemy would like to steal? Your joy? Your peace? Your home? Your family? Your health? You see... God is already providing for you. But the enemy is making plans to try and steal everything that God has for you. And there has to be a place in our life where we say, I will not let that happen. I will take my authority in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because you see, that's our second point. You have a part to play in this. God requires partnership and participation. Joshua, you gather men to go fight in the valley while I go stand on the mountain. I want you to know if I'm out in the desert, I'd rather be down in the valley where there's a little bit of shade than standing up on the mountain in the full heat of the sun. It's not like Moses, this 80-year-old guy, is saying, oh, I don't want to be a part of the battle. I want to escape to the safest place here. No, he said, I'm going to be in a heat of a different kind of battle. You're going to be in the heat of the battle in the valley. I'm going to be a, in the heat of the spiritual battle up on the mountain. Everybody has a place to play. The supply was miraculous, but Israel was given an assignment. I, I, you know, I think about the, the first battle. This is Israel's second battle as a nation. In their first one, they're fleeing the Egyptian army. And they're standing at the premises in front of the, the Red Sea. And Moses holds up the rod of God. And God blows. And the, and, and the waves are parted. The wind blows. The ground is dried out. And they walk across on dry ground. And then, as the Egyptian army begins to pursue them in, God just wipes out the wind. And the waves collapse on them and destroy them. There are times in our life where we just say, Okay, God, I want to see you do it. Go. And God is saying, I'm ready, but here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to obey. I want you to do this. When he wipes out the Egyptian army, God said to them, you just keep on walking. You keep on doing what you've already been doing. I'll take care of what's behind you. You just keep looking to the front and keep walking that way. But this time God says to them, I'm going to do it a little bit different. You go down into the valley and fight. Moses, you go to the mountain. No one escapes the battle. The Lord is training us to rule and reign with him when we walk through the valley. God's got a purpose for that. Some fought the physical battle while others fight the spiritual war. But everyone has a role in the warfare. How are you going to participate in the life of this church? Ooh, Pastor Joe was on fire this morning. 
Oh, Pastor Sarah brought the word today. That was great. What'd you do? Oh, I enjoyed it. We all have a part, don't we? You know, have you ever noticed sometimes that when you begin to worship, it seems like the worship is better? Sometimes you think, oh, no, no, the worship was better. That's why I worshiped. No, the worship might have been better because you were worshiping, because you play a part. Everyone has to do their part. Number three, the war is always won on the spiritual plane. Always. I don't think God's even watching what happens in the valley. Look, because look, see what happens. When Moses held up his hands, praying and worshiping, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. The New Testament puts it this way. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual darkness. We, we wrestle in the spiritual realm. Victory for the church is won in the place of worship and prayer. God's not looking in the valley. He's looking to see what the church is doing. Oh, God, give us the victory in the river bend. Praise the Lord. God's going to see what's happening right here. Oh, God, give us the victory in Alton. Hallelujah. God's going to see what happens in the house of God. He's going to be looking for the people of God. Are you worshiping? Are you praying? Are you interceding? Are you engaging in the spiritual warfare? When Moses grows weary, Israel suffers. We're all responsible for the success of others. Number four, new ways or new paradigms are helpful and healthy. Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. I, I love what Jesus pointed out to the nation of, of Israel. You see, there, there's always going to be people who don't like what God is doing. I understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited here. Jesus said this. John came, and he didn't eat or drink, and you said he has a demon. The Son of Man came, and he ate and drank, and you said he's a drunkard and a glutton and a friend with tax collectors and sinners. You just can't make some of us happy. My mom's gone on to heaven, so I can say this. God bless her. My mom made the best chocolate chip oatmeal cookies in the world. And she gave the recipe to my wife. Part of it. And I would say to my wife, well, they're, they're okay. They're just not like moms. When I woke up a couple of weeks later, I learned that my taste buds had changed. No, you see, the, uh, uh, we just have this natural inclination. We don't like new things. We don't like change. Don't mess with that. I like it the way it was. I'm old. Say, you're not old. I'm old. Trust me. I, I don't like new songs. I'm just going to be honest with you. They're way too high for me. I like a song that I can sing that I don't have to read the words because I know the words. I'm old. 
But God is not happy with me. Because God said, sing a new song. Bless the Lord. God said, I'm going to do a new thing. We serve a God who's always saying, look what I've got for you now. New ways are helpful and healthy. We need to be people who are living by the word, knowing the word, defending the word, just not adding to the word of God. Abraham never sat on a rock. Well, you know what? You don't know that. God does new things in new ways. I, I, I wrote this in my notes, and I think it's so true. If we fall in love with old memories, we'll never make new ones. I don't want to hear about the old days at the altar. I want to hear about the new days at the altar. I don't want to just hear about what God did in the 1940s and 50s and 70s. And I want to hear what God's doing in 2023 at the altar. Number five, the anointing doesn't erase our humanity. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Moses is 80. He's been out in the sun all day long. I don't care what kind of robe he's wearing. There's no arid, triple extra dry available to Moses. And I think that when they raised his hands, I think the wonderful aroma of earth was all over them. You see, that's our, our fifth lesson. The anointing doesn't erase our humanity. Oh, if you expect me to be perfect, sorry to disappoint you. If you expect the church to be perfect, sorry to disappoint you. I wish it could be that way. I wish it was that way, but it's not. Because the anointing doesn't erase our humanity. Every one of us wears the stench of humanity, and it'll eventually come through. But notice this. When Moses held up his hands, the Bible says that Israel prevailed. But it's a totally different word when Moses, Aaron, and Hur, despite the stench of humanity, are walking in unity together. And now all three of them are raising their hands. The Bible says that when that happened, Israel overwhelmed the enemy. I don't want to just prevail. I want to win overwhelmingly. The last point is this, is God has an assignment for us. This, this is the biggest victory they've ever experienced. A miracle of a new river, victory over the Amalekites. They overwhelmed them. God said, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then God says, okay, now here's your next assignment. Pour what you've been given into the next generation. And God's got a plan for this church. It's getting ready to be a new day. A new day, but God's going to give you a new way. God's going to help you to walk in that to fulfill all of the assignment that he has for you in each and every day. What's your new day that you need from our Heavenly Father? I want you to know he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory.